This week I had the privilege of sitting down with Adam and Tiffany Long. They are serving in a full-time role at Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. Adam works in uh, construction, maintenance, operations, and uh, he's a, he's an electrician who is extremely uh, – he's highly skilled, very qualified, and uh, it's been a huge blessing to get him here. Um, this is a big operation. We're, we're a large physical operation, and the the larger we get, the more need we have for skilled laborers and – not laborers, just like skilled people who are who are tradesmen and craftsmen. Um, he's been a he's been a godsend. The Lord sent Adam at the right time for what we needed in, in this season of expansion. He came in during the COVID year, and um, man, it's been it's been a huge blessing having him. Tiffany is uh, she's over our hospitality, where this really stands out, where it really shines, is at our adult conferences, things like marriage retreat, uh, women's respond event. Um, uh, iron on iron it, she uh, provides not just hospitality but like a really nice touch as far as making people feel at home and um, it's one of those positions that we've needed to feel for a long time we've had people wear that hat and do a great job we've had some people do an incredible job but we've never had somebody in here in a full-time capacity so the Lord sent them here at a time where we were expanding, and they've been a huge blessing. But their story is phenomenal, their, their gospel story, as every gospel story is. But for those of you that love the No Sanity stories, this is one of them, and it's a, it's a snowbird couple, family, and I'm excited to introduce you to them. Um, spend a couple episodes uh, sitting down, talking with them, hearing their story, and hopefully you'll be encouraged by it. Welcome to No Sanity Required. Welcome to No Sanity Required, from the Ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. So we're um, going to be sitting down, uh, like I said, with Adam and Tiffany Long. And what what we did is we just sat down in uh, in one of the facilities here at Snowbird, here at Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a.k.a. SWO. Many of our listeners have been here before, familiar with who we are, what we do. We just sat down to listen to their story. It's a story of addiction. It's a story of abuse. It's two lives coming together out of kind of crazy pasts. And Tiff grew up in a in a pretty broken and dysfunctional family situation. I will say that Tiff's mom uh, is now faithfully serving and walking with Jesus and there's been so much redemption in the family. So as you're listening to the story and you're entering into just the, the difficulty of their story, the hope is, before you even get to the, the that part of the story, is that th- this is a family that's walking and living in redemption. Um, Tiff's mom loves the Lord, is walking with Jesus. Tiff Tiffany's walking with Jesus. Her kids are walking with Jesus. Adam is faithfully serving the Lord. So it's an awesome ending, but there's it's it's a tough and gritty story. And I will tell you, we leave out a lot. We edit out a lot. And a lot that we talked about off the air that has to do with drug abuse, not just within the marriage, but uh, periphery, you know, like like family members that um, were ravaged by drug abuse. There was some sexual abuse that occurred. We don't really deep dive into any of that. There's It's alluded to, but um, it's a story of redemption, and I'm so thankful that they would come and sit down and talk with me, share their story with you, and I hope you'll be encouraged by it. You know, first off, 
Tiff, why don't you explain a little bit what you do at Snowbird? Okay. Uh, I am the hospitality manager here at camp. I take care of uh, event setup, weekend setup for retreats and uh, for students coming in. Um, but that also includes cleaning, um, making sure the place is warm, inviting, friendly, but also that cabins and bathrooms are well taken care of and maintained. And I also get the privilege of um, discipling and mothering mm -hmm. uh, 10 intern girls um, that are in our institute program. I have actually the largest department of girls um, here. And so I get the, the benefit of Sweet, precious angel babies. <laughs> that's what you always call them. <laughs> that's right. Um, so that's what that's what I do here. I get to basically like a front desk manager. People know Mama T when they, they call come you. In the yep. Door. Yep. So Mama T. Mama T. That's what they call you. Yep. So it's been a it's been a great gift to to do that. Well, after. it's been awesome having y'all. And what do you do here, Adam? Well, I work in the um, construction and maintenance department. Um, Got hired on in August of 2020 to just kind of oversee the electrical. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just uh, 20 plus years I was in that trade. Mm -hmm. I would have never thought that the Lord was preparing me to do this. But it's been an incredible adventure so far. You know? It's uh, Yeah, the other, the other morning I did a staff, once a week I do a staff little devotion, which turns almost into a sermon a lot of times. That's good. Uh, but last week, I, I, I think it was last week when I talked, I used you and somebody else's examples. Of, he was reading First Kings. Yeah, and those guys that Solomon got those dudes to, it said that one guy that did a lot of the metal work, it was like he was. The bronze work. Bronze work. He's anointed of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord was on him, and this guy's a tradesman. I feel like a lot of our listeners, we have a lot of listeners that will identify with you. Like a lot, there's a lot of blue-collar dudes that listen to this podcast, and, and, mom, and a ton of moms, working moms, stay-at-home Like it's crazy the the people that I hear from, but you guys know, you've been in the Snowbird Network long enough now in the community. Sure. We have so many people from so many walks of life, but yeah, um, we'll get in a little bit into Adam's background, but yeah, a lot like, like a uh, career in, in electrical. So, um, and y'all moved here from the Atlanta area. We did. Yeah. Y'all had attended a bunch of marriage retreats. Your we kids did. had, your, your kids who are grown now. Our kids are grown. Our son, um, well, both of them came to camp. I don't remember their first year, maybe 2015 or 16. I can't really remember. But came to camp several years. But um, our partnering church and that we planted was Sovereign Hope. Shout out to mm -hmm. to uh, Adam and all of our extended family down there. So that's how we were connected with Snowbird was through Sovereign Hope and coming, sending our children. And then our son um was on summer staff, then interned, and did summer staff again. Um, our daughter also did summer staff, interned. Um, it's just been a family, mm -hmm. a family affair. And now our son is married, and his wife also works here. So. Yeah, and he works here. And that's yeah. true. That's right. And now Connor works here full time. So. Yep. Yep. And he's doing a it's phenomenal a nation. Job. It's a nation of longs here. Yep. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> we have a lot of that. We have a lot of families on staff where. Yeah. Um, going all the way back to that's how the you know Sam and Vicky Mavery came on staff here after Zach had come to work here twenty some years ago and of course they're both now retired but there's a good bit at the Garners mm -hmm. who y'all have joined clans. now it's a, now yeah. we've joined the nations yep yeah two nations have joined two nations under have joined <laughs> under <laughs> <It's> <laughs> the fun. union of matrimony yes 
Was there was there like a dowry? Was there did, that, did anybody have to kill anything? Like no, um, no. He no. had to present two goats and a bull to yeah, Jeff perfect. Garner. That's yeah. promises <laughs> were made. Yeah. <laughs> Mari, sweet Mari, still gets very confused about. Um, she's like, "We're in laws," and I'm like, "Well, not not exactly, Mari. sort of, but yeah, we but can yeah. say that." Sure. She Absolutely. just says we're sisters in law. I'm like, "That's fine. You can say <laughs> that. It's great." <laughs> so good. Yeah, I mean, she she is. Not even by in-law status related to y'all. That's right. <laughs> but but she good. loves that she we're loves, family. <laughs> we're family. One big family. We are. Which is part of the appeal and the beauty of being at Snowbird. You know, it's it is a family community feel. Yeah. And one of the biggest compliments I think we could get was Hank told me the other day. He said, "You know, and and y'all could speak to this, but he's like, uproot my family. You know, my wife is is." deeply rooted in the community they're from you know they're th- where they're from both their families are from there financial stability career and they uproot and come to snowbird and he said my, he said the first night i laid in my bed in andrews i had this anxiousness of what if once we look behind the curtain this is not what we thought it, this ministry is not mm. what we thought it was you know what if we get because a lot of times that happens where once you get on the inside you realize things are not what they seemed, you know, and um, Snowbird ain't perfect. But, and, you know, we always tell, you know, I always make the joke, if you're looking for the perfect ministry, it will stop being perfect the moment you get involved. Absolutely. You know, right. so a bunch of imperfect people, but it's a, it's a community that where everybody really genuinely cares about each other. And, That's right. And, uh, and you have, yeah, that, that group of girls, Tiff, that you get to invest in. That's what this place is all about. Oh man, that's the uh, rubber. That's where the rubber meets the road. That right. relational component, for sure. And it is you've taken the hospitality game to. It was an area we'd struggled for a long time, like because we usually were filling that with an intern or part timer. Right. Uh, so let's get into. I'm gonna. I, I'd like for y'all just to kind of let's let's walk through your story. So I think okay. I think y'all's story, like everyone's everyone's marriage story. I've done a lot of weddings. I've done 60 weddings and all the marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling goes with it. And um, your your story as a couple starts before you ever even knew each other. Absolutely. That's the way it works. And your story, your, let's start with your childhood and your, your okay. upbringing. Let's walk through that. Okay. Well, I um, was born in Atlanta. Um, my mom was... Um, she already had my older sister. She was a teen mother when my older sister was born. And then um, my dad was 17 um, when I was born. And because of that situation and because of and my mom was, I think, maybe seven years older than him. So she was already in her early 20s. But he also did. I, I think he fabricated his age as well. But actually, he was 17. Um, so... There was some issues there in her home um, with her mom, and so she was sent to a place in Atlanta that was for unwed mothers because this is the early 70s, and you didn't, you know, walk around mm-hmm. knocked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so um, we were in this place in Atlanta. Um, most of the mothers there gave up their children for adoption. That's basically what what where babies came out of for families in that in that era uh, very few actually kept their their children um and my mom did um 
and I've actually always been super thankful for that um, because I know I probably could have endured a lot less maybe stress and trauma and things like that, Um, but I just really feel like the Lord used that as the beginning of our relationship to show me, okay, she's, she's in this with me, like we're gonna, we're gonna do our best here, Mm -hmm. you know, she just knew, it was never a question, she didn't think, well, maybe I will, maybe I won't, won't, she knew, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping her, um, so she was there, um, and then she just lived a life of, uh, drug abuse, um, alcoholism, it's the raging 70s at the time, so, um, I don't have a lot of recollection, you know, super young. Um, I don't have a lot of memories of my dad. Um, He died of a drug overdose um, in December of 1974, no, 1979. Um, So I was about to be four. Right before I turned four, he he passed away. And I do remember kind of the, you know, I guess your brain knows, oh, this huge thing happened. So I do remember bits and pieces about, maybe the funeral or whatever, but um, at that point, we were, we were super transient. I never remember having roots anywhere. Um, we, we moved around a lot. Um, we Mainly lived in the Atlanta area. In the Atlanta, metro Atlanta area. Um, around there, we just moved around a lot. We lived with people. We lived uh, with family. Um, just moved around a lot um, and still just a lot of drug abuse, a lot of unsafe situations, um, that I don't necessarily even remember. I just remember the feeling. Mm. I don't remember the details, just mm-hmm. the feeling. And just from my older sister who was with us at the time, um, you know, I just knew that it was not a good situation. And then um, a few years later um, after that, I think I was maybe in first uh, first grade or so, um, my mom at that time, well, she had just kind of walked through a lot of relationships, a lot of um, just not good situations physically and things like that. And then um, she meets my, my stepdad now uh, when I was in first grade. Um, also an alcoholic, uh, super abusive. Um, and so then we walked that road for for years and years and years um, of just, um, he worked. Uh, I always say like, I feel like my life is a little bit of an anomaly in the sense of, I did not go to school hungry. I was not ever hungry. I never remember. I was not neglected in the sense of um, I was well-fed. I was clothed. um, And I was loved. I was loved. I didn't feel a neglect in the sense of she doesn't, my mom doesn't love me. We always had a very close relationship, um, even through the alcoholism and the abuse and of uh, well between the two of them like I was scared and I would want her like are we gonna are we gonna live in this are we gonna do this and we just stayed and we stayed and we stayed and so we walked through that um, we finally landed in a little town uh, metro Atlanta um, lived in a little apartment complex there and during the week things would go pretty pretty smoothly it was kind of the weekends that were like the party time um and during that time, I just spent, I felt like I lived in a lot of just, like, anxiousness and fear of what was going to happen next. Like, I'm just a ball of nerves all the time. Um, but I loved school. I was a good student. Um, and 
loved, I think, the structure and safety of school, and I could kind of anticipate the outcome of what was going to happen during my school day, but at home, I could never anticipate what was going to happen. So I always, I feel like that ingrained in me a sense of, I've got to always know the outcome Mm -hmm. of what's going to happen in my life. I've got to always know, you know, what's, what's next so that I can control it really. Um, And during that time, um, I had a sweet grandmother and my aunt Robin um, were believers. They would come and get me, take me to church. Um, They would, um, share the gospel with me. My aunt um, was like a big sister to me. So this was my, my dad that passed away. This is his only sibling, and they were very close. Um, so that's how I really came to know who my dad was, was through the relationship with his sister, uh, Robin. And we were, like I said, we were like siblings. Um, she was, I think, 16 when I was born, mm-hmm. or 13 when I was born. So we just grew up really, really close. Um, and she's the one who began to really instill this hope and this comfort through the word, through mm. fellowship with other believers. And I would call her and say, hey, can I go to church with you on Sunday? Or she'd say, I'll come and get you. And she would try to get me. She would take me to her Bible study on a Tuesday night. And um, it reminds me of like when, when we talk about bringing our kids and they're sitting in church or they're like, we might not even be doing something intentional toward the kid, but because we're just the words and the music and the conversations are falling over my ears at that time. I, I took all that in and, and I knew I was in a place where, Hey, this feels different than, than my house. You know, this feels different than how I feel when I'm at home. Mm. And so my aunt just would walk me through and just lived out her life, loving the Lord. Um, and so that was just for years, just living in attention. Um, he was very physically abusive um, not to me, never. He was never once abusive to me, but he was very abusive to my mom. And in, front, then, in front of you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, my older sister decided to, she was like, I'm done. I'm moving out. So she left when I think she was probably 12 um, to move in with my, my mom's mom. Mm. Um, so she's out. Um, so What's the age difference? Four years. She's okay. four years older than me. Um, so she was out. Um, so then it was just me and my mom, um, with my stepdad. And again, we're just kind of surviving through life together. She would always say like, you know, you're, you're my little trooper. You're the one that, you know, kind of stuck with me, which, you know, at the time you, that's what you feel like, like, oh, everybody's abandoning me. You've stayed, which then instills this, I've got to stay Mm -hmm. now. I've got to be here. I've got to make sure she's okay. I've got to make sure that, she's you know taken care of and because I'm here we at least have each other even though there's this chaos around us and he was very unpredictable um like I said it could be just a big party or at any moment the the switch could flip and he's dragging her down the hallway so his abuse wasn't like alcohol induced like oh yes it was absolutely so when he was drinking yes just count on it Absolutely. And you again, you didn't know what level that was going to be. Is it going to be like, hey, there's a few people hanging out? Or is this going to be a knockdown drag out weekend mm-hmm. where furniture's turned over and I'm running up the street in the apartment complex trying to, you know, find help or just be away from that? Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, I can remember her saying, like, just just go. Um, and I just kind of be running around outside like, somebody help, you know, and 
So, you know, it was, it was just kind of this anticipation usually of what, um, but again, provided for, he worked, he wasn't necessarily like, you know, a bum sitting home drunk all day provided. Um, so again, it's just that, that picture of, well, I feel this way, but I don't look like there's anything wrong when I'm at school or I'm with friends or, you know, I never invited friends to my house. I never went to other people's houses because I was just scared to leave my mom. Um, but I did spend most of my time, like on the weekends, I would go to my grandmother's house or to my aunt's house to get out because I knew the weekends were the, you know, were the the party time. Usually when things were going to go mm-hmm. down, it would be then. So um, you'd, go, you'd try to go to Robin's house. Yep. You'd go there, and it was just a sweet time of fellowship. She really, before, like, discipleship was a buzzword, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. she was really just, she would say, like, okay, if it's, the 3rd of November, we're going to read the 3rd Psalm, you know, mm. so we would kind of go through and, and just pour did out our hearts. Did she get married during your childhood? She did. She got married. I was little when she got married to her high school sweetheart. Was that a healthy picture of marriage for you? Um, mostly, mostly, yes. Um, uh, they went they went to church together. I mean, everybody. I mean, they had their own issues. Um, mm. But, yes, um, they were loving, loving to me. Way different than the house you lived in. Way different. And, and. The Lord really gave me, I often think about this because I had another, my mom's sister, uh, my Aunt Gail and and her husband uh, were a beautiful picture um, of marriage, Uh, not necessarily godly marriage, but but good marriage. Um, At the time, they weren't in church or anything like that, but just provision and love and comfort like in a home. And so my sister and I just kind of bounced between this aunt's house and I had cousins over here that were like my brothers and we hung out over here and you know, then I'd be at my grandmother's. Anything to kind of not be in the thick of it, but I couldn't be there too long before I was ready to to go check on my mom and make mm-hmm. sure that, you know, make sure that she was okay. So that's pretty much, you know, kind of how it went. And then, um, so we're in Metro Atlanta. And then I guess I was in middle school. Um, my mom was really tired of just that Metro Atlanta life and some Honestly, I don't even know, like, there could have been some drama or something with friends or just bad company, obviously, in that situation. There's drugs, there's alcohol, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and decided to move to Griffin, mm. um, which was about 45 minutes from where we were at the time. Like, we were literally Metro Atlanta, and now we're, you know, she, she finds this place. Again, no clue. But I, my grandparents at the time lived in Griffin, and I was like, oh, my goodness, that's Her where— parents. Uh, my dad's, Your dad's my dad's parents, parents. Okay. So, so that's Robin's who parents. Robin's parents, yes. And so um, I said, "Well, where where is it? Where's this place we're going to move to?" And she said, um, "Valley Hill Road." And I was like, "What?" And that was the road that my grandparents lived on. And I mean, of all the things in the world that the Lord could do, like we didn't live across town; we literally lived on the same street as my grandmother. So when things got bad, I could just walk down to her house and. You know, it's just really neat to see how the Lord mm-hmm. literally brought us to the same street. Um, it was really difficult for me, especially when my grandparents moved to Griffin, because they were in Forest Park. When they moved to Griffin, I felt like they were so far away, and I felt like I couldn't. Then it was just me and my Aunt Robin. Um, so it was really difficult for me to go there, because I felt so far away from my mom that I needed to, you know, my grandmother would fuss at me a little bit, because I'd go spend the weekend with them, but then call my mom every five minutes, you know. 
Harry okay? Mm-hmm. You know, is Ricky there? What's he doing? Like, I needed to know the play-by-play, even though I was, you know, at her at, in a safe place. I mm-hmm. still needed to know what was going on back here. Mm-hmm. So uh, they moved. Uh, and then we moved to Griffin, and that's where I ended up going to church where where Adam and his family were. Um, and after high school, um, we – things just – well, let me back up. My mom, when I was 16, told me she was pregnant. <laughs> so I have a sister that's 16 years younger than me. Um, and I thought maybe that would be a season of, um, like, downtime where, okay, well, we're not going to have, like, the abuse and the the drinking and the, the madness of, of everything. Um, because I felt like my, my older sister had already left. I was obligated to stay. Um, But then as I'm getting older, we've now added this baby into the mix. And it was, things had settled down for a little bit. And then my stepdad got to the place where he was no longer physically abusive, but was still an alcoholic, um, still emotionally and verbally abusive. It was still tense and rough. And, um, you know, we used to say it was feast or famine. We either had money or we didn't. We, you know, again, I was never hungry I might not have liked that there was just a toast and an egg, but I was going to eat whatever was, you know, in front of me. Um, so then the Taylor's born um, when I was 16, um, and it just changes the dynamic of, mm-hmm. okay, now there's this other person in the house. Maybe things will settle down. Um, they did for just a very short amount of time. And then once she kind of got old enough to not need, like, so much infant care, you know, getting a little bit older, um, it started, the drinking started picking back up and, you know, all of this. And by this time, I am, I'm getting tired. I'm weary of holding things together and um, kind of constantly fighting this internal battle between this is not right. Like, there are people who walk away from families like this all the time, and there are uh children who suffer from this but nobody knows that I'm enduring this nobody knows how scared I am and nobody knows the things I've seen you know I had seen everything from from drugs being done to just sexual things and just it was just uh, all but it was all in my mind and it was all internal and I'm just processing everything but on the outside I'm a straight-a student Mm. Um, I'm in civic organizations and I'm doing all the things that are giving a sense of my life is not complete and total chaos. Um, and I'm not scared to death all the time, every day Mm -hmm. of my life, which is what I felt like I lived in. One of the things we tell our staff here is, and you guys know, and you, you do the same thing with your girls, but like when this weekend, as we're recording this, we're preparing for a big weekend. There's going to be four or 500 people come in here and how many of those kids that look perfectly fine on the outside they're they're doing the youth group thing they're in there they look like just normal kids having fun doing what teenagers do in 2023 and and, but they're living in some kind of hell right there's abuse there's there's verbal abuse or there's sexual abuse or they're being exposed to pornographic stuff or drugs or we just don't know right because Kids have this resiliency that adults don't have. Right. You know, as a kid, what you're describing, we see this all the time where it's like, dang, you're going through that, but you're a straight-A student? Mm-hmm. Your teachers didn't have a clue. No. Nobody would have ever known you're, because you're 
you're coping and you're you're being exposed to things as a kid that some people never get exposed to in their whole life. You're being exposed to as a 10-year-old something that a 30-year-old would blush over. Right. But right. then you just, you're able to separate your right. home life and your school life. Right. I think it's important for people to understand we got to be we we need to be aware that kids a lot of kids that we interact with a lot of people mm-hmm. live in very hard situations yeah. and at that time and at that age you don't have the language as a child to say oh i feel mm. neglected emotionally mm-hmm. i feel scared to death that something's going to happen to me or that my mom's going to die in front of me or that there's all these other secrets and there's all these other things. There's all these branches that are coming off of these things that especially as I began uh, growing into like preteens and teens, now I'm forming what I think about how I should give myself to a, to a guy, you know, then that starts informing all of that. And, you know, poor decisions that I made with, you know, relationships when I was young, because, you don't have the language to say, hey, um, I need help. Mm-hmm. I'm broken. I don't understand what's going on here. I'm because scared it's normal. To that was normal to you. And because it happened be- at the beginning for so long, it's that's all, you all I had lived in. That's all you knew. So that is normal life. That's normal life. And so even with seeing, even with seeing maybe a good example of like even at my aunt's house with her, with her boys and, and how loving and warm, that just seemed like. It, I didn't necessarily, of course, I, I would think, well, this feels really good, but you almost kind of crave being back in your madness mm. um, because it's what you know and it's where you mm. may be. I don't know how to function outside of that. So I do know how to function here, whether that's a healthy function or not. I know how to cope. Mm-hmm. I know what's going to, you know, I know what I need to do. And then. When did um, you become a legitimate, like, Christ follower? I became. Is that later? Nope. I, I was about nine years old. I had been going with my Aunt Robin okay. to church. Um, and she had, often when I share my testimony, I say that I don't know my life apart from Christ in the sense of from a very young age, my aunt and my grandmother were pouring into me. And I had that, the knowledge of who he was. I wasn't raised in a, in a, in a place where I did not know that there's church, there's community. I, I was always there with one of them. Um, and I had this great, uh, draw towards that life with my aunt Robin. And then we were going to this church and we were driving home. The church we were going to was a, a good, probably 30 minute drive from the apartment where we lived. And we were driving back and it was a winter time. And I remember asking her, what does the preacher mean when he says, if you died tonight, you know, do you know where you would go and what you you know, what your eternity looks like. And I said, you know, what does he mean by that? And so she pulled the car over and laid out the gospel for me. And I was like, well, I, I want that. And I'm often super thankful. Um, another shout out to Adam Benson. You know, I used to struggle that, you know, I, I didn't have this testimony of like, I just don't know my life apart from Jesus. Like, I, I still felt the draw of conviction of sin. Like, oh, I'm, I'm a sinner and I want to do this. Um, I want to follow Christ, but I don't have like, you know, we're even like Adam when we hear his story, you know, he had like this just rebellion and, and sin and not that I wanted that, of mm-hmm. course, but I was like, well, 
you know, I believe Jesus was who he says he is, and, and I followed him. But Adam Vinson um, had a sermon one time and was talking about how when we do get saved young like that, like all the things that the Lord saves us from, and like because we became believers earlier, like we get to walk in faithfulness even longer than, you know, and it was just the way that he formed that. Um that made me really thankful, whereas I think especially like in college when I was in my college ministry and you're like, you're just like, oh, share your testimony, share your testimony. And um, I'm like, well, I came to the Lord when I was eight and it was great. And, you know, I mean, I, I made some decisions, but it wasn't like this. And then I, you know, sold myself out, you know. Um, so I gave my heart to the Lord when I was nine, um, around eight or nine, with my Aunt Robin, of course, um, and then just walked in the best kind of discipleship that she could give me at the time. Um, and so that's when I, I came to know him. So I was always listening to records and things like when the madness was going on in the living room or whatever, I would shut my doors. I would turn on my worship music, you know, um, and that's how I come. I would sleep. I would literally physically sleep with my Bible mm. every single night as a, just a comfort. So that's when I came to know the Lord. When then, when you moved to from Metro Atlanta to Griffin, and then you met Adam at church, was that y'all were teenagers when y'all met? I was fifteen years old the first time my eyes. And you were like, I said, "That is one fine young man." Look at that man. Look at that ponytail. He didn't have no ponytail then. Oh yes, he did. Oh yeah, ponytail. He actually had the um the side skater shave. Oh, all the rest of this was long. What was this about 1990? Oh, it yeah. was about 89. 89, 89. 90. <coughs> the wonder years, baby. The, the wonder, wonder years, <laughs> the true wonder years. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Um, so y'all legitimately then y'all were teenage sweethearts. Yeah, we so were. You start, I mean, you like start boyfriend girlfriend. Well, we a little bit. We know you went together. Yeah. Back then. You're going together. You yeah. went together. We passed notes from a mm-hmm. kid because he's a year older than me. So he was in a different school than me, but we met at church. And so I would pass notes through this kid that was in school with me but rode yeah. his bus. For young people that listen to this, <laughs> no, we don't have many young people. That's a text message. We, we have people that listen to this who are like in their 20s that don't know this world. But like you could not send text, message, text messages because there was no such thing as a cell phone. <laughs> That's and right. You, but you wanted to talk to each other on the phone, so you would call. On your landline. On your landline attached to a wall, and then her daddy or somebody, mama or something, was going to answer the phone. Yes. Hello, could I speak with <laughs> your daughter, basically, you know? Could I speak yeah. with Tiffany? And it just depended on, that could be scary, though. A little bit. Yeah. Who's calling? Uh, <laughs> click. <laughs> we did. I think we can still remember each other's numbers too from back then. Wow, that's hilarious. So, yeah. So I moved there, met him, and uh, and y'all start dating. Mm-hmm. Let's jump. Let's jump into your story up to this point. Like your story, Adam. You grew up. Your early childhood. Your everything's pretty solid. It. But oh yeah. When you got into your teenage years, you're about fifteen. Oh yeah. Um, I've just. Quite the opposite of her, you know. I grew up in a family, I mean, basically from birth, I was in church. Mm. But it was just your old backwoods, Baptist church, very topical, very... Bible Belt. Yeah, you know, just you, you could 
set your clock to the tradition mm. in this mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. But um, I think um, I was always very just a curious kid, you know, just really high strung. Uh, I wanted to push the boundary. I wanted to see what it looked like standing on the side of the cliff. I was mm-hmm. that was just ready. It was just the way you're wired. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just a bit rogue, but it wasn't really out of rebellion. You know, it was just more curiosity. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't big in like team sports. So the skateboarding thing was really just what kind of drew me because it was it was me comp- competing with me. Mm-hmm. But um, I had a cousin. His name was Tony, and he was very influential in a really just an anarchaic drug lifestyle kind of way, you know. And um, I was instantly drawn to it, you know. Mm-hmm. They lived in Thomas and was about a 30-minute drive from us, Southway. And, um, man, I wanted to be with him as much as I possibly could mm-hmm. because he was doing the things that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then the older that we got, around 15, 16 years old, you know, I got introduced to marijuana, and that was okay. I mean, it kind of, it's it's one of those things that kind of, like, calmed me down, you know. Mm-hmm. It almost gave me a way to uh, to think. It was, uh, uh, I enjoyed the distortion of that mm-hmm. high, you know. And Marijuana can be a very existential drug. It, you go to deep thought. Yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. Crazy thought you process. And it slows you down, you know. And just, uh it was the hallucinogenics too that really kind of I fell in love with, and uh, the more I hung out, like what, like you doing shrooms, what, like oh yeah, mushrooms. So um, you're doing typical teenager, late eighties kind of stuff. Yeah, as far I as, mean, as far as substance, right? Smoking weed, shrooms, but like the the whole um, like cocaine, crank, and all that. I just man, it just scared the fool out of me. Uh huh. I just couldn't do it. I was already high strung as a kid. I was like, I just don't want no part of that. And the funny thing was, like, Tony and that group of guys that I hung out with, they didn't do it either, hmm. you know. They are just like potheads. Yeah. But the more I hung out with them, the more I started hanging out with the other part of his friends. And hmm. they were just, man, they were just bad, evil dudes. Hmm. And I went with it, you know. I mean, we just did a lot of horrible things mm-hmm. that I just – don't like thinking about, you mm-hmm. know. I don't like bringing them up just because it was people that we hurt. It was mm-hmm. a lot of physical pain and just emotional pain that we would put on people and be fine with it, mm-hmm. and then just just move on. And um, I think it was probably fifteen to twenty-one was that first cycle of drug addiction, and um. By that time, I had been arrested three times, and the third time was uh, drug-related. It was uh, with my cousin Kim and Brian and another, the Phillips, I think their last name was. And uh, We got pulled over by the Department of Natural Resources. Oh, yeah, DNR got you. Yeah. But I remember, I just, I don't know, as yeah, soon as I woods. saw him, We was at the Okmulgee uh, River, just hanging out. And as soon as I saw him, I was like, this is it, man, you know, because I was running on probation. I was like, I'm toast. Hmm. And uh, I wasn't. You know, we went to jail that night. And um, the lady, what was her name, the, the judge? I can't remember. But she was. Judge Judy. She Judge was Judy. pretty honest. 
but she said, uh, you're going to, you're getting a chance, mm. you know, you're going to do, um, a long stretch of time and you're going to follow these guidelines that we got set up. And I was like, let's do the guidelines, man. You're 21 at this point. This was at the end of that little run. Yeah. So you're about 21. Yeah. So that gives you a chance. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I did drug rehab. I did, uh, house arrest to have my license taken away. Please tell me you wore ankle thing. Yes. Oh, he did. Oh, did. Yes. He did. I did. Oh, I love this. I'd have picture. to go pick him up from Oh, yeah. Work. Fun. fun times. Wait, wait, wait. So y'all start dating when Adam's at what age? Well, we had a little, you know, high school sweetheart. Um, flirty, flirty in high school. <laughs> mm-hmm. But passing the notes. Passing the notes yeah. and that kind of thing. But I wasn't really allowed to, like, date, date or anything. Again, you know, my mom may have been off her rocker half the time. Yeah, but, but it was pretty strict. But she was like, you're not going to do this. I think know? that comes I, for, I, I don't know if people realize, a lot of times these really highly dysfunctional, abusive homes are also very strict. Yeah. Very yeah. strict. Those parents that yell, scream, beat, abuse tend to be very overbearing and strict. So right. you. Like yeah, I mean, she was like, us. yeah, she was like, you know, you're not, you're going to say yes, ma'am. I mean, what I couldn't get away with, you know, I had chores. I had, again, it was just that anomaly of, it's chaos, but you're going to do, have this done before I get home or, you know, whatever. Um, So we, we didn't really, we just kind of went together and I did truly at that time know there was something about Adam. Um, I didn't know the Lord would bring that back around, obviously. I just thought, like, oh, like, this is the first boy I've actually, you know, really liked or whatever. Um, and then, uh, so I actually moved out of my mom's place finally when I was 17. I just could not take it anymore. I was trying to get into college. I was senior in high school. Um, and again, like, with Adam and I, I don't know why I was drawn to the edgy pothead, and I'm the straight-A student that's so normal that's i know a ta- that's a tale as old as time it is a tale as old as time it's the the high school trope of good girl mm-hmm. drawn to mm-hmm. um that's a thing it's a it real is. thing um but i loved his parents they Did were you move in with your grandparents i moved in with my my dad's parents yeah. um uh, which had its own set of issues that eventually that's a you know a whole other again a, a branch off of all that um but uh, moved out, um, and so I went away to school, and I didn't cross paths again with Adam. We kind of broke up because he was the rebel pothead, mm-hmm. and I was like, I got to get into really, she's going to college, and I was like, I, I, I got things you to do. You left home to go off to school. I did. I went to Georgia College in Milledgeville, Georgia. I wanted to be a teacher, knew I was going to be a teacher, um, so – Went to school, um, and then I came home. Um, my first summer, I, after my freshman year, I served in a with Campus Outreach in, in Florida in a 10-week mm. ministry, Dang. you know, thing. So I did that my first summer. Well, the second summer is when I came home, and then our paths crossed again. And that's when we kind of started seeing each other. Um, but he was... He was in trouble all the time. I knew he was doing, like, at that point, that isn't just, like, high school, I'm a skater punk. Now you're 21. And he's, now I'm 20, like, 21. I don't really know about this, but I really love you. And I, or, or at the t- not like I didn't say it at the time. But I knew I was drawn to him, and I knew that I kept being pulled towards him. What were you doing, Adam? Were you working? 
Yeah. I mean, I wasn't like holding down like a good job. I mean, but it's just like, whatever I needed, whatever I needed to make money to support the habit. So maybe, I mean, like bagging groceries, like those kind of jobs or more like picking up jobs here and there. I mean, I worked at a junkyard. Okay. Separating metals. That was one of the jobs I did. I worked at Little Caesars and just, so just yeah, no, no career moves. No, nah, just, just mindless jobs. You know? along. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. um. You know, she was a college and college girl, man. You I'm telling that. you, like, ooh, sugar mama. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, our our paths came back together, and uh, you know, the Lord absolutely planned that. Yeah, because you know, that was at the tail end of me. Like, all right, yeah. you can't be doing this anymore. Man. So you're kind of coming out. That judge that got your attention. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I mean, I was. They were like, you're going to do two to four-year stretch in a state penitentiary, and it's the one in Butts County, mm. or you're going to do this. And I'm like, I'm not going to that because mm-hmm. I've actually had a couple of friends go to that penitentiary, and it's brutal. Mm. I mean, well, I my, my, my little self would have never mm-hmm. survived that. But, you know, I was shown grace. Mm-hmm. And I did the rehab, and I wore that ankle bracelet proud. Mm-hmm. And I, I was okay with, you know, I can't drive my truck. That's fine, you know. Tiffany will come pick me up. Tiff will come get me. <laughs> oh, yeah. How long was that, your probation period? And the probation was about five years, but that started about 18 the and, first time I got in trouble. But um, And then, like, the house arrest stuff, what was that, a year? Uh, the That was about six, six months, seven months. Six months. That's but the, the, the rehabilitation was probably just a little over a year and a half. And – I was actually one of the first people to get through that program, and um, I can't remember his name. Mike Penholster was the uh, one of the counselors. Offered me a position mm. to be a counselor there, and I remember it's like, no, mm. not happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. But, uh, <laughs> I got other plans, mm-hmm. so I moved on from that. We got married shortly after that. I, met, I asked her to marry me on August 9th. Were y'all? Okay, so you're done with college by that point. Well, we were finished. I was finishing up, and and he was kind of, like you said, coming out of this time. And um, Now, mind you, I'm still sort of, obviously, this whole time praying for my family back home, praying for my younger sister. I'm praying for salvation over all of them. So I'm still kind of swirling in this world, but I've left home. Um, Now I'm here with my grandparents. Now some situations have come up here that we're navigating through. So I'm still constantly dealing with the aftermath or current effects of addiction. Mm-hmm. At this point now, my younger sister can call me and say, can you come get me? Now my, you know, like things like this are, are, are now coming in. Um, but I was finishing up college and, and we had been dating and, and I knew that he wasn't like, ready, really, to, um, like, just put away childish things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like he was close. Um, and, and I knew from the beginning, even as much as, like, the paths that I had, maybe some guys that I had dated or whatever, I was like, we are, you have to know the Lord. Like, you have to. I know mm-hmm. you're crazy, but you have to know the Lord. And I knew his parents. And I knew he made or uh, had professed mm-hmm. a faith in the Lord or made a profession of faith as a young kid in that Baptist church that we grew up in. Um, but I knew he had the foundation for that, even if there wasn't fruit at the time. Let me 
say this to all any girls that are listening. I'm not saying that's the best way to do that. <laughs> like, yeah. see the no. fruit ahead of time. You're not going to change anyone, and you're not going to fix no, it. No missionary dating. No missionary dating. Um, but, um, but I just, I don't know. I just had this connection that I just felt like um, I, I was championing him, and I knew that we had this deep connection and emotionally and but I was like you you know I'm about to graduate from college like you gotta you gotta make some decisions here about what you want to do and you know whether you want to keep playing around with these you know poor influences and poor friends and yeah because joking aside I made the sugar mama joke a while ago but you ain't gonna be that I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna prop you up no no, and and just seeing some things, and and honestly, at the time, there probably were red flags, um, but but I stayed, and there were potentials in college. Adam and I were just kind of rehashing this not long ago, where I was like, man, there were times that I could have, uh, you know, gone out on a date. Like people didn't ask me out, and I'm like, but that because the Lord knew, like, no matter how treacherous this path was to one another. Like, we would walk through this together, and, and even, like, withholding maybe somebody that I thought was going to be a good pick for me or a good choice for me because I was developing, re- you know, friendships that I thought might turn into something in college. It was like the Lord just kept drawing that apart, drawing that apart, and I would come home, and he'd be like, hey, do you want to do you want to hang out? And I'd be like, yes, sure, and then he would, you know, like, totally not call me back, you know, just silly things, like, where he's... Just not showing me, okay, you're now you're 22, you know, or, or whatever. And then finally, he called me at school, and I was like, you got to, you know, you got to decide here. Are we in this? Because we're adults. You know, are we in this or are we, are we not? Because I'm done with this playing around or, you know, I'm still kind of drawn to the things of the world. And, you know, so he said, you know, I'm ready. And yep. then we started building that that actual relationship and um, started, you know, we're really serious. And then we got engaged in August of 97. Yep. Um, something that stood out that's, that I want to ask you that seemed really interesting to me. What Robin, your aunt, did for you then, mm-hmm. you kind of were able to do that for Taylor. Yes, absolutely. And it's almost the same age split. Yep. I mean, almost to a T. That's crazy. Um, That's cool. So you've got this aunt that as you're coming up, she's pulling you out of it for yep. breaths of air and yep. and speaking life into you. And then yep. as she hits adulthood, she's pulling you along and really was a resource. And then you get to turn around in the same age split to this younger sister. Absolutely. And you're able to pull her out and give her a breath. and right. Huh, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my lifetime was to pull out of the driveway when I called my grandmother and said, I'm done here. Mm. And I honestly don't even remember why that one incident, and I don't even remember the specifics of that weekend that broke the camel's back. Mm. But I was like, I cannot live here anymore. And your I, grandma, I it just, this one, she's just right down the road. Yes. So you, you know. moved out. I moved out. Well, my parents had moved. At that point, they had moved to a little city kind of next door. Okay, it wasn't okay. too far, but it wasn't on the same road. Okay. Um, but not far at all. Um, but it was it was one of the hardest things ever to, I mean, it was literally backing out and looking at this little two, three-year-old, you know, 
knowing what I'm leaving her mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. but knowing if I don't, I'll never be able to help her. I'll never be able to, you know, move forward with my own life. If I don't get out of this, I'm going to be trapped. And again, I just think that's the good graciousness of the mm-hmm. Lord um, where I had prayed for courage to do it for years. I had tried for years to move out, but just could not leave my mm-hmm. mom. Uh, again, we were felt like you were abandoning her. Super, super close, yes. Um, um, but the relationship with Taylor definitely was, okay, well, I want to help and I want to pour into. But then we've also got this dynamic of, okay, they're, they're drinking, they're doing So then it became like, now I'm her parent. Then mm-hmm. my mom would be like, hey, you help her with this project. You mm-hmm. help her, which created our own set of issues between mm-hmm. that relationship that the Lord has had to have his hand over. And now that we're adults, we've we've been able to filter through some of that together. And, Cause and she, was it like there's a point where she's like, you're not my mom. To treat me. Yeah, and I think that she just wanted a sister. And you're having to be an authoritative and I figure. Absolutely. And I didn't know, you know, I'm like, I can't help our age gap. Like, we're not going to be, you know, our relationship, even if we were in the healthiest of homes. You're not going to be BFFs. We're not going to be besties because. She's playing Polly Pockets and you're going to be a school teacher. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Literally. Um, and so, but the Lord just absolutely used me for Taylor to show her, hey, here's this hope. When when she was scared, we would pray together. Mm. All this, like you said, it was a mirror image of what mm. my Aunt Robin had, had done for me. Um, your aunt, your aunt Robin's still living? She is not. She, she has been, huh, she's been with she the Lord the about, um, I think, five years now. She was young. Um, she's 50-something. Wow. Yeah. That's a, it's a different podcast. Okay. So Robin, Robin... It's it's a tragic story that we won't get into. Right. But Robin had some things that had happened to her that you weren't aware of. Right. And and, and she had been an overcomer, but eventually it caught up with her. Absolutely. And, and I think it's just, good for people to know that stories don't have fairy tale endings. They, they don't. don't. They have gospel endings. They don't. Absolutely. That looks a lot different. So Robin, who God used to pull you mm-hmm. along and out of it, and even we could probably even say came to faith because of her absolutely and then in the end she had her own issues absolutely that that eventually led to her yes dying and still praising the lord in the middle of the tragic the tragedy the trauma um but eventually just health wise from some choices that had been made Mm. she she passed away and Um, and then y'all but that was like just a few years ago so it was about five i think it's been five years now okay we're going to we're going to wrap this up with that I think all of that backstory is so important for understanding then what God does in y'all's life in y'all's lives once you're married. So but God as uh, so you get married how long after y'all get married till you start doing the till you till you get into electrical work with the union. Oh, it was that, pretty that quick. A year or so. Yeah. It wasn't long. So that when you fill that application out You've been doing carpet. So you were doing carpet when y'all got married. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, a year or so in, you start doing electrical work. Yeah. So now. Uh, June 13th, 1999 was my first day. Of- okay. So at this point, married. We're married. We're yeah. starting your life living, together. Living life yep. together. Living the dream. Doing fun things. You've and- got, you know, you got all the the naive 
things that are associated with that season of life. We're married yes. now. We're going to live happily married. ever after. That's right. And I, and I did have, I think I put probably unfair expectations on Adam. I think, mm-hmm. you know, as, hey, you've rescued me out of mm-hmm. this, this, this madness. Like you've, I've been waiting, you know, for, to be mm-hmm. out of this home. And I've been waiting to be out of this, you know, um, really thought process really like I'm going to be free mentally I'm going to be free physically mm-hmm. because I'm out of this and now we have our own home together which I think you know obviously put some unfair expectations on him to yeah. provide peace for me and things for me that really only Jesus could do but I, I put that on him early on because this is what I had waited and prayed for thinking yeah. Hey, when we get married or when I get married, it'll all, and then it'll all go away. I think that's an important place to, to, I'd like, this is where I want to kind of wind this down, wrap this up is I think that's a message people need to hear. And that's a big takeaway from this is whatever your background is, the, you know, the, what Jesus, what the Lord can do to redeem and restore and save Another human can't do that. And God often uses other people in our lives. He used Robin in your life, Tiff. Mm-hmm. He used people along the way in our lives um, who sometimes end up having their own you know, problems and issues. But God uses us. He uses broken people to help broken people. But he uses no person to be what only Jesus can be. That's right. And so you get, you've come from a, a place where there's abuse, there's, neglect there's damage there's pain there's there's a lot mm-hmm. and then now god's brought you into this relationship with the man that coming in you're thinking okay he's my it's a it's a it's sort of like a functional savior mm-hmm. um, it's a messiah complex that you yeah. put on him he's gonna save me out of all of it it's like now now i get to live happily ever after that's right but that never is how it works no. and uh, so We're going to stop right there. We'll pick this up next week. Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you come right back. We're going to get this second episode up real quick. We're going to get into their marriage, and that's where the story just gets so um, powerful. Uh, I feel like um, I don't even know how to describe it, but Adam's addiction almost tears them apart, almost brings the family down. But by God's grace and Adam's grit and determination, because that is part of it, Tiffany's strength as a mom and a wife, God brought them through it. And um, they're a family that is now faithfully serving Jesus, and I'm so thankful. Their son and daughter, Connor, and their daughter, uh, my daughter is Juju, and I think a lot of people call their daughter Juju. My daughter's name is Juliet. Their daughter's name is Julie. But uh, they they all serve in some capacity here at SWO. Connor is full-time, and um, and his wife, Erin, is, is from another family that serves at SWO, the Garners. Just a lot of redemption, a lot of cool, a lot of cool things happening, and uh, and praise the Lord for what He's done in His family. And so, please um, jump right back in. I really want you to hear this next part. We had to go back and and lay the groundwork for their marriage. Their twenty five years of marriage has been intense. It's been tough, but man, it's been full of God's grace, and they're doing so well now, and and are example to so many others. So, thank y'all for listening. Come back and listen to the follow up episode. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.